Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco, your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. Your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tour Diaries podcast. I'm your host, James. I'm not joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Lowe. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Paula Carney. How are you, Paula? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You have a similar background to ourselves, and you're a community worker in Dublin at the moment. Yeah. Where are you from? Um, I'm originally from Summerhill, but living for Inglis now at the moment. Mm. What was it like growing up in Summerhill? Do you know, I actually love that. Mm. Uh, do you know, it, the Northern Sea, it's one of them communities when there's, like, there can be chaos in a one day. Mm. But if something goes wrong, that one of them communities that really pull together. Yeah. So I think that's sort of true in a lot of working class communities. Yeah. Do you know, there's a real strong community spirit. Now, lately, over the past few years, with everything that's going on, obviously there's fractions. But again, once that happens, they are a very strong yeah. community. And that's 99% of the community, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like this, these small fractions are just, just certain groups of people, but they... The actual community itself is built of the 99% of people that are just love yeah. their area, love the people in the area, and they're the most outgoing people that you can ever meet because they all say, hello, how are you? Yeah. Do you know? That's one, one thing about <laughs> class communities are walking. It could take you an hour to get down yeah. the road somewhere and, you know, so you're just like, yeah, hey, if you're in a hurry, you're trying to let on, you don't see people and just walk. My wife says, put, even, even now, to me, do you know if you're going to Little, make sure you put the mask on because it's, there's not, there's never once have I ever gone to the shop. It's only two minutes across the road that I've come back after five minutes and gone half an hour, 40, because you'd be bumping into people and you'd be chatting away. You know? Yeah. So, what was it like for you growing up? Growing up, do you know something? I grew up in a house where there was myself, I have five siblings. Wait, five, wait a minute, that count. Yeah. One brother, <laughs> one sister, four. Yeah, five yeah, siblings. Yeah, yeah. Six, together. Six yeah. of us all together. Yeah, but now, my dad had his issues with drink, but he was still a great father, so it's, you know what I mean? Now, but was he a great husband to my mother? Not really. Yeah. Do you know, so I grew up with those domestic, domestic abuse, the usual crap that goes on in families like that. And I do understand that we also came from a community that was full of poverty, the whole lot, and all that put a lot of stresses on people. Mm. But now I have to say, now, as he got older, he really softened in his mm. old age. And he's dead now, Jesus, 11 years 12 years mm. but um, yeah it was what? tough at times but 
still okay. Could you relate uh, today and now with your understanding around addiction and stuff, how maybe growing up in, in that kind of environment may have had kind of, may have had some form of influence in maybe definitely. your mental health and your addiction? Yeah, definitely. And as well, like, and both, so like, I remember our first when I came out of, out of addiction, you know, thinking like, well, I'm the only one out of six of us that end up like this. But I also had other traumas that had went on from when I was a child. So that was, it was different, you know what I mean? And mm. my way of coping with that was to pick up a drug. Yeah. Do you know, like yeah. I was saying to you earlier, like yeah. without advocating for drugs, at times drugs saved me life. Do you know what I mean? Because I would have ended up, God knows, fucking. And it's only people like language. us can yeah. really understand yeah. the real true benefit of that. You know, because when when drugs came into our lives at a young age, the thinking, the ruminating in the head, the negativity, the constant critic of yourself and that I was worthless and bad or something wrong with me, that stopped. Yeah. Because no device in my head is, where am I going to get more money for more drugs? Exactly. Or more drink? You know, and that's, that and was the new voice. You get cocky and confident yeah. and all that comes around and, when and you're using drugs developed. and you're able to hide yeah. Everything while you're using drugs. So, you know, growing up, you, you had you had different things going on in your life. So, yeah. th- when did you start using Fala at a young age? I would have started, say, t- taking the odd tablet here and there, very early times, yeah. you know, and then drinking when I could, you know, like sneaking off, having a few joints, you yeah. know, the usual, like at 13, 14. But then around 16, the rave scene hit. Mm. And I sat going to the raves and that, and it was just like, take whatever I could there. Mm. Do you know, I'm not going to lie, I had a fucking great time yeah. doing it. Yeah. Do you know, so there's no point lying about it. I had a great time doing it. And the ex- that was I the ecstasy era. Ecstasy, coke, and the love bomb, the yeah. whole lot, and all like that. The love you get back with then, yeah. we always say, don't we? The love that we yeah. got from the MDMA you know, was powerful. What you thought you were missing. Like, it was yeah. powerful. You, you, was, you couldn't hear somebody, yeah. any ecstasy. Oh. Like, the, the camaraderie and the sense yeah. of belonging yeah. and. Friendship. Like if you even look at the raves now years ago, if you're going to a nightclub and everyone is drinking like that, an argument's bound to break out somewhere. You're going to a rave and everyone's just bleeding happy. Do you know, it was mad. Like when you think back now, it was surreal. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you're looking around, everyone's in love with each other. Nobody's fucking fighting, punching the head off each other. Am I allowed to course, Harry? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, if we weren't low course, I probably would be sitting here. <laughs> Actually, when I think back, you know, there's the, the, so many early podcasts where really, I used to do a lot of cursing, mm. but I try not to curse as much yeah. now because the audience is more diverse than yeah. we had imagined. So I, was, you know, I thought like our audience might be like people like myself, Timmy, yourself, that would, but more and more people from different backgrounds, since we're trying not to curse, but you're free to curse mm-hmm. if you like. What's school like for you back then? School, do you know, I never really liked school. And it's mad though, I'm in college now and I love it. But when I was a kid, like absolutely hate school. And I think as well, though, do you know the way when you're in school, you're trying to fit in fit in with everyone else to like acting up and all that and acting like you hadn't got a clue what was going on. When I look back at it now, I was actually quite intelligent, mm. but just wouldn't use my brain because I didn't want to. Yeah. And I think as well, though, like I went back to college at 42, so it was completely different to when I gone. I do even say it to me own young to me, 21 year old, when I was asking him about going to college and all I saying, at least with college you pick what you mm. want to do. Yeah. It's not like you're being forced to do what it's someone else expects. Yeah. And I think for me though it was just that was authority over me. Mm. And I didn't want authority over yeah. me. Do you know so yeah. it's very similar yeah. as well. Like there was ability there, 
I didn't like the teachers to him. I didn't like having to go to school, yeah. having to wear a uniform, having to sit in a science class that you hated or a maths class that you know German, you know. But when you go as an adult, then like you don't have to go if you don't want to go. Yeah. If you want to go in bed, you can stay in bed. Exactly. I wouldn't do it, but you still had the choice. Yeah, you don't have to go sit in a maths class or a science class. You go and you study things that you're interested in, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. different. It's way different. It's completely and different. And as an adult, the teachers don't have the authority over you. Then they lose a child where they can treat you a little bit poorly and talk down to you. Whereas when you're an adult, everybody's at the same level mm. and you can speak up for yourself and stuff like that, you know. It's, it's less hierarchical, you know. Yeah, and I think skills back then, though, like I was only listening to your podcast the other day with John, John Connors yeah. and he was talking about the classes. And I remember that from Gardner Street School, like why we all had air, air classes, you know, like say from junior infants all the way up to sixth class. Members of the Traveller community were in, it's the library now on Gardner Street School. They were all lumped into that together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you start to see all that from an early age. So I think I've always been the type of person that I'd notice things like that. Yeah. So I'd no respect for it. Yeah. Do you know? It was like that so, in St. Mary's on the Hill, it's yeah, primary yeah, school. Yeah. The travellers would be in one class. And I can remember stuff coming out over the intercom around like, uh, hello, Miss Ford, how many travellers have you got in your class today? And all stuff like yeah, that. Like, yeah. 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 And they'd have to come to travel. And I remember as well, travellers being in our class that would be way older than us. Mm. And then way younger, it's like, they would get moved up and down years. Yeah. Like, and then they'd be in second class and then they're doing the confirmation next year. Mm. Like they're, and then they're moved and on. that was the know? only time they were allowed into it with us was during, because I remember, remember sitting in the church and there was two of the travellers was in the church where I was making that confirmation. But like, but when you look back now, you're like, fuck, hell. Yeah, what was that? How, like, and then, but then you listen to people on the likes of Twitter and I'll constantly put their members of the traveller community mm. and then, oh, the parents don't send them to school. I'm being honest with you. If I knew that I'm sending me to school to a child, she'd be treated like that. And then after doing all this studying, that if you look at the statistics that not a lot of people will say they'll hire a traveller, yeah. why would you send them through it? And even if they yeah. are in school, then yeah. what's going on in the school that represents their culture? Exactly. What, like... You know, there's nothing in there that celebrates their, exactly. their music, their language, yeah. horses. It's all kind of, it's, it's a very kind of a rigid and one-dimensional system where this is the ideal way this to live. And if you're outside of that... You're anyway outside, you're different. You've nothing to relate. It is though. time for change, though, in the system. I, I No, there, there has been some changes slowly mm. around the different ways kids have been taught and there's more knowledge around different learning differences and, and different kids. Like, today, I've gone into schools, right, and some of the schools have more SNAs than they have teachers. Yeah. More, like, across the board. Yeah. And I think that's, it's great. It's great, but also at the same time, would it not be very important? And I always say this, and I, I, I never get sick of saying this because I think it's very important and people need to listen to it. If we did have a system set in place for kids at a young age to be able to, to see what works for them, yeah. what doesn't work for them, and let's teach them in a way that they can benefit from school instead of school being a place that they get very stressed and anxious at. Yeah. And they enjoy going in there. But, you know? And you could do that. Like if... They could do something similarly to college where you have your core subjects that most students will do. And then, you know, like if you're doing, like I'm doing social policy at the moment, so there'll be a core subjects that we have to do. And then we get to pick our electives, you know, on what we want to study. Yeah. You know, so if they've done something like that with the yeah. kids, 
Well, like I'm what you're saying, Bill, mm. did I, did you know, kids, yeah. members of tribal community and all that scene, a few just before Christmas, um, my kids' school sent out um, a survey, a few questions, Bill, anything you'd like changed. And my eight and nine-year-old helped me fill that in. And what they wanted was studies on African studies mm. and for more teachers that look like them to be in that school because there's none. Like, yeah. that's an eight and a nine-year-old telling yeah. us. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 you know, so yeah, yeah. they're like, there's not, like, yeah. we've friends in our school that look like us, but we've no teachers. Yeah, a bit, a bit yeah, more diversity. Taste, yeah. Yeah. Even the social policy thing there, if you're ever stuck for anything there, give him a call, because there's your boy there around social policy. <laughs> I've got two weeks to do it. <laughs> but if you want to send it on, I something, you have a look. But, um, you know, the, like, like a lot of teens, people will experiment, it doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. Would it got out of hand for you? Yeah. How and why? I think because it helped me cope and I let it get out of hand because that like with the, like going out raving and that, that'd be the weekends, probably smoke weed during the week. But then I think with a lot of us, from, particularly from the North and I see a lot of us, we'd be going to the asylum, then we'd end up on the top floor of the asylum at the end of the night smoking heroin to the mm-hmm. down. Do you know, or going back to a party and smoking heroin. And as much as that was a weekend thing, I started going to during the week and, yeah. and I actually really didn't even think I was addicted to drugs until it was mad. Two of my best friends. I was in my friend's house, a friend that I was using with, and my friend come, one of my best friends comes up and knocks. Are you walking around to the house? I'd be out all nice, so I walked around right? gets to me gate and shones around and she says, All right, I have to go. And I says, What did you get me out for? You have to go. I need to do something for me, ma. Let me walk into my mass. Do you have to go up and tell me, ma, I was taking heroin and all that? And I'm like, you fucking bitch. Mm. Now, give her a couple of weeks, don't get me wrong, angry at force, but they're still some of my best friends now. Mm. And it was, they were seeing that it was getting out of hand for me. Do you know what I mean? As much as we may have went up, don't need to get or whatever, they were seeing the harder drugs come in and yeah. they were seeing me change. Mm. And they were saying that I wasn't so much into going out clubbing anymore. It was getting more that I just want to stay home and do hard drugs. Yeah, yeah. So I do get where they were coming from. Do you know what I mean? And it was done genuinely because they cared for me. Do you know? And that's still two of my closest friends. Yeah. We may not see each other as much now, but when we do see each other, it's just like it's it good awareness sense. over them back then. I'd say, I'd say <coughs> Dublin must must have been completely devastated with heroin at yeah. that stage. Like, you know, in Cork, we didn't really get heroin until 2006, yeah. 2006 yeah. or seven, where it really came in yeah, the flood. Say late 90s, yeah. Dublin, like, got really bad and yeah. the marches started again with the, it was the Concerned Parents Against Drugs Force and it was mad because I remember <laughs> the Concerned Parents Against Drugs. I lived in Hardwick Street at the time where that started. I remember sitting on my dad's shoulders, what do we want? Push us out. Mm. Ten years later, it flipped. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Matt's been told you're not to have a hoard in the house. Yeah. Do you know? Like, so it was mad though. Like, do you know, as a little child sitting on my dad thinking, this is great going on these marches. Yeah. But then when you're older, you're like, it was vigilanteism. And now, again, and I'd be very similar to the anti-refugee marches that are happening now, the majority of people that are on them, there is about concern and they're, but they're being fed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. People I'm going to try and keep the language. Yeah. 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 The wrong people hijacked it, you know. But, and it was similar back then. Do you know what I mean? Some people had their own agenda for it. Mm. Yeah. And 
a lot of them, I'll be honest, and I will say hypocrites yeah. Yeah. when it comes to marching on people for drugs and like, geez, you're they're just doing it for the, the sake of it. that brought them in, so don't yeah. even go there. Yeah. They're doing it yeah. for the sake of it. You had addicts as well that wouldn't be dealing or mm-hmm. like that getting slaughtered. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? People who are just selling for their own habits. Yeah. How did how did it escalate to you? Like from that that night that you walked into, into your parents. And Do you know, it was for me that as the same when I was saying about that, I walked into my mother and my dad was in treatment in is a a toy. Yeah, Kim Fair. And me and Ma rang them. Now they were separated and all at the time. But I knew my dad was coming up and fuck this and getting out of the house. Yeah. I left the house and went to see my cousins and fight in my mansion. Nice move. Bit of a, bit of a strategic move, my man. Unconscious as well, I'd say at the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm very conscious. Like I knew <laughs> if I'm around them flats, I'd be grand, you know. Yeah. But, um, it wasn't until then that I realised I was addicted yeah. because I ha- hadn't got a right beside me that I could go and go. I had to go look at and I started to feel sick and I'm like, fuck, I didn't, I honestly didn't think I was addicted to it. Until you started yeah, feeling sick. until you fucking had to go through them withdrawals and everything yeah. like that. And, and what, then it was just start shoplifting for around. Yeah. And how did it, how did it, um, how did from that point to maybe the day you, you, you stopped? Like, how, how did it go? What was the whole process through there? Like, where did, the where did, where did it bring you? Yeah. Do you know what? I started shoplifting to feed me habit, but luckily for me, I was actually a good shoplifter, so I never had to go any other route. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, like, and I love always say about girls who have to go out and do sex work. Mm. For many, it's their only option. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I'd never put a girl down yeah. for that. Yeah. So, and I hate to see... <laughs> and especially when I see fellas putting girls down who have had our partners out yeah. doing it to feed their own habits do you know what I'm like but nobody can judge anyone else no. Paula because we do whatever business. you have to do to get yeah. whatever you need to suit yourself especially with an addiction you know? and we've all done shit that we're all yeah. not sh- proud of and ashamed of but you know what at the time we needed to do it to survive and I to get us through what we like did I was lucky enough that I was a good shoplifter yeah. but I still ended up in and out of prison for yeah. years because of it, you know what I mean? Spent a lot of time in jail between, I remember the, the old Mount Joy mm. when it used to be in St. Pat's. The Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco, your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. Your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. Limerick and the dope was constantly in and out. Yeah. Do you know, it was literally like a revolving door system, do you know, in and out. And like, just still, like, even when I went back up doing groups in the dope, there's still girls there so, that would have been there from the start when I was there. They're basically doing life sentences and installments, you know, it's like they get out for a week or two. And for many, that's a safety place, do you know what I mean? So, and unless you've lived it, you don't understand that. Yeah. No one, someone says that they feel safe in prison. I know. Do you know, you have to live. Do you know a lot of the, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you know a lot, a lot of the girls as well um, that are in and out. Mm. You know, I suppose, I suppose some of the things that are happening to them then as well on the streets, like yeah. that, that actually keeps them in addiction even longer because yeah. they need their, like that stuff is after hurting them even more and they need to actually even soothe themselves more. So 
the thoughts of stopping for them is is something that the brain doesn't even want to yeah. go there because they know that they're going to be left with all these different traumas. Like what they may have started off on drugs for, maybe when childhood stuff and whatever else, yeah. but the stuff that happens when it's an addiction then, exactly the that's a different level of yeah. stuff, like, isn't it? Yeah, and like, and you see a lot of young girls and women and all in addiction who suffer domestic abuse hugely. And like we found like even through open cell that a lot of them when it comes to reporting around, they won't report because they're treated like cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. They're a complicit victim, you know, that they, they played some role in it because the argument may have started up with drugs, that there's a bit of blame put on them, you know, instead of just looking at them as victims of domestic abuse. Now, I will say, <laughs> we started a project in Sale called the Davina Project, and um, the Davina means domestic abuse and violence is never acceptable. That's what the, the word stands for. But we guards from Star Street, in the domestic violence unit and I have to say they've been brilliant like they come around they've done a lot of work with sale and all and how they view people who use drugs now when they go into situations is completely different <clears throat> you know but again that came from people with lived experience talking to them and telling yeah, yeah. them you know what it was like for them that was able to give them a different perspective on it as well so sale the sale group for anybody that's not familiar with it outside of Dublin what, what, what's it all about? Sale project now that's like in my addiction I ended up going to I had my eldest son Ara jeez I was 26 when I had him I'm really showing my age he's 21 <laughs> <laughs> you did know one yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I started Sale project when he was only I think one few nearly one but I'm not didn't work for me at the time. Like I was drug free when I got pregnant for when I was drug free for the first year or two. Mm. And then I slipped back into addiction. Well, I went back to Sale Project in 2011, which is a women's project in the North Tennessee. It's just for women only, but it's the only all women's project in Ireland. Well, it was up until Merchants Key started one. But the amount of work that it does, because I it doesn't sort of it's a type of project that you go in that even though it's a drugs project. Yeah. It barely focuses on the drug. It's all about making women's lives better. Do you know what I mean? Educating women. Do you know, really, really creating the conditions for them to be empowered. Do you know, so 
sale when I went back. I started doing, I think I'd done my addiction studies there. I was a, had actually applied to go back to college and I ended up, I was only in college two months and I found out I was pregnant on my nine-year-old. Yeah. And then I says, I'll defer it next year. Then I found out I was pregnant again. So I was like, I put that off <laughs> for a while. But um, I did do my addiction studies now on sale, but sale, it's really sort of community development mm. approach to working with women who use drugs and really taking them in like you're, they develop a lot of work, you know, with, with the peers, like they've developed work on, I don't know what he's now, the Reduce the Use Programme yeah, yeah, yeah. that would have been developed cool through sale. Well. Yeah, cool, mine use mm. as well. But Recover Me, Solace mm-hmm. the Sale, but they've programmes in it called Brio, which is Building Recovery Inwards and Outwards. But that's for women who have criminality and mm. addiction in their story. And that's the one that goes into the DOCUS, you know what I mean? They go in then and work with women in the DOCUS. But it's the peers delivering, mm. you know, training to the women and all. Yeah. So I remember going in before I ever worked in sale as a peer to the DOCUS. That was when I'd done that presentation. Yeah. But um, going in, and the difference we're having someone that the women knew and could relate to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It does a different. It as makes a lot as, of difference, yeah, don't it? And there's some amazing workers and projects yeah. who may have never used a drug in their yeah. life, but, and they're in it for the right reasons. But I do believe that lived experience piece makes people really be able to relate to each other, you know, and know that they're genuinely being heard and genuinely being Because you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it across the table. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm sitting here with you and... and Although we've had different experiences, we all we both know what it's like to get caught up in drugs and know that it's the most important thing in our lives and everything else goes up to Swanee. Yeah. And we've no care for our own lives or anybody around us. And we're willing at any point maybe just give up whenever it happens because we've already given up. Yeah. You know, so that's some that's a quality that only people who use drugs and have been caught up in addiction. Oh, you made a great point. Some of these people are in it for the right reasons and they're very well educated. But when you have somebody sitting across the room <coughs> that is educated in this yeah. stuff but also has the lived experience, it just gets a different level higher, yeah. doesn't it? And you're willing to, to listen to every word that's coming out of your mouth, their mouth. And that's how I got it. Yeah. By having somebody with lived experience and also at the same time, they were a counsellor and they knew what they were talking about. And I said, whoa, he had the same... And that was it for me. It was like, yeah. if he can do it, I can do it. That's the piece, isn't it? Being able to sort of see it. Yeah. You know, if you see someone's growth and someone's story and all. But like for self, for me, it was very much, I started to have people who believed in me. Mm. Whereas I never felt that before. Do you know what I mean? I always felt like, I'm just someone who uses drugs. Yeah. Do you know, and I'm not, nobody's going to respect me. So what's the point? So it's not like I'm going, ever going to get a job or anything like that. Yeah. I think you feed into the stigma that society puts on you mm. and you start to believe it, you know, and it's very hard to break that. Like I done a piece of work with the women in sale on drug related stigma. We were at the developing a manual, <coughs> excuse me, and we're citywide, was, we're citywide in sale and the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission had funded it. But um, the group of women, we were supposed to be 12 sessions, but... We went on for over a year just developing the manual, but the stories that come up and mm. that, you know, about how women are treated when they come in. Because, like, as much as people who use drugs are stigmatised, women are stigmatised much harsher. And when it's a woman, when it's a woman who happens to be a mother, it does extra layers of shame that are placed on her, you know, because 
doesn't automatically link to if it's a woman who's taking drugs, she couldn't be a good mother. I was a fucking great mother to me, son, regardless. Mm-hmm. Do you know? But thankfully, yeah. me two youngest have never had to experience any of that. But I was still always there for my son. But I was also one of the lucky ones as well who had a family there that yeah. never walked away. Yeah. And a lot of the women that I work with now, many of them don't have any. Yeah, the kids you know, care they, Yeah, and they're asked to put their kids into temporary, you know, what yeah, do you call her um, voluntary? Voluntary, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and make it almost impossible. And like at the moment, I'm walking in housing and I'm seeing where women are coming in and they've been asked to voluntary sign their child over. But then what happens is they're in a hostel, a single person's hostel, and then they... don't have the accommodation to get the child back. And then they don't have the criteria for that two or three bedroom house that they need mm. because they don't have the child in their care. So to catch the 22 <laughs> situation and you think that women, I suppose, going to be able to jump through all these hoops while experiencing huge trauma that comes with losing that child. And then it's like... Do you remember when we were in the Dorcas there, about two months ago we were in the Dorcas mm. and we were in Limerick as well with the ladies. And uh, something I suppose that I suppose struck us in compared to the men was the level of mental health issues and also a lot of the women in there. Like when you're, from my experience anyway, when you went to prison, like your main goal is to get out as fast as you can. Yeah whether that's bail, appeal, whatever, they're mm. But some of the women in there are 50 euros bail. They don't post they bail yeah. because they know where to go or they're safe or where yeah. they are. Like, can you talk to us about that? And did you experience that when you were in there? Do you, do you, do, like even today, do you see women in there? And what, why are they safer inside and what stuff is going on for? I think, as, like, especially now where a lot of, the, a lot of women in homelessness Prison is a safer option for them, unfortunately. Do you know, like, if you see how some a lot of people are treated in them services as shocking, do you know, like, with the Service Users' Rights and Action piece, we've just done a bit of research and, like, from talking to people and all, do you know, who are living in hostels and whatever, they're, they said, how they're treated by the staff. Like, I've one girl at the moment and only for, do you know, she said something last week. I can't go into our details too much, yeah. but I'll just say about how the staff in one of the hostels was talking to her and her own sister was like, they wouldn't have said that yet. But her sister went up to up her to collect her clothes then a few days later. And she was standing at the door and hearing them how they were talking down to the girl. And I mean, this girl has had a horrific situation since being put out of the hostel. Also, for women, like, like constantly going into prison, it's safer than sleeping on the streets. And as you said, it could be only 50 euro bail. Mm. And for most of us, that's not that's nothing. But if you have nobody to even post that bail, mm. do you know what I mean? So as well, like around your kids, the whole lot. And I think that burden is taken off them. If they're in there, yeah. I think they can relieve themselves of some of the guilt that there's nothing I can do from here. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? So when I was, when I was working yeah. in services, there was a couple of predators, well-known predators who would hang around the hostels yeah. and sorting the women. Yeah. And there was a couple of women came to me trying hysterical crying and stuff like that. The girls would come, but they would never go ahead because if they make the statement, they still have to go to the yeah. hostel to score with methadone yeah. to go to the post office. They're, they're, so there's a lot of stuff goes unreported. Yeah. But if, they're, if they post bail, that's what they're going back to. Yeah. Because we don't have the housing or departments. Like back in the day, you could save up your few quid while you're inside and get a bed set, you know, mm-hmm. down a deposit. Do you know no, what I mean? Them days are gone. 
no, it's not a hope. And like, and then if people are in addiction and all that, it's very hard for them to even get a council place, you know, because of different. If they do the section fifteen and the charges coming up, mm. but their charges yeah. done, they're being told they have to wait another year. Yeah. You know, so it's like you expect people to move on and get into recovery, but they've no stable place to go to start yeah. that. Do you know if um, like the, there will be women in prison watching this because <laughs> this goes yeah. on to the prison TV channel? Hi to everybody. Hello to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know if there was a uh, your wise woman who oh, had all these life experiences and education and stuff like that? Is there any bit of wisdom or advice or guidance you'll pass on to the younger you? Um, or maybe like because how we're talking there is like they could be thinking, what's the point? I mm. don't ever want to get a gaff and you know, all this shit. Like, what's out there for people and what can they access to turn their lives around? I think linking in with the right services that we are really there to support you as you which, and taking help from anyone that you can get. But, again, the right ones, you know, that are there, doing it for the right reasons. Mm. And there is some great services around, you know, like those great, great workers around the north and I see you doing like the likes of Ishka and all, now doing really good outreach work and all. I like that they, they have a great piece around language and how we speak about people exactly. who use drugs on that. The, yeah, and that's around the stigma piece, that person-centred language. Mm. You know about sort of, I know it's a bit of a mouthful, people who use drugs instead of addict or instead of use. Or, yeah. you know, because I find, and I know some people would challenge me on the word addict, like when I just say it, you know, about, it can be, it's not that stigmatised and it can be very defining. Yeah. Do you know, if you're calling someone like they're an addict, it sort of forgets all them other pieces of that person. Yeah. Do you know, their mother, their <clears throat> sister, their brother, their father, yeah. friend, you know what I mean? So it forgets all them brilliant pieces about a <clears throat> person and just focuses on yeah. the pe- well, I think that for, piece. Not, not for people in recovery, they might, uh, I suppose, with the fellowship of being a recovering addict and that yeah. self-labelling can be a positive in terms of like, ah. they belong to a group. Yeah. But I think it's important for other people not to call somebody else an addict. That's the thing. That's a bit the self, Yeah, mm. the self, it's different, you know. But as well, though, like I challenge the word clean as well. Do you know yeah. when someone refers to clean because I'm like, when someone asked me, how long, like, how long are you clean? I was never dirty. Yeah. I was... And I think when we You're use language such as clean, mm. it can be very, um, it puts that assumption that when you're using drugs, you're a dirty person. It's just a lack of awareness around yeah. really, isn't it? That's and, all it is. And it's I think because yeah. I've done, like, I've been involved in campaigns on Sigma, so I think that's why I'd be so strong on, mm. you know, challenging the language. But some, what I do with that groups like fellowships and I will use that, that's their language. And it's like, I suppose, with the LGBTQ community some people have embraced the word queer yeah. mm. so if it's empowering to people to use for themselves or like that it's just not language i choose yeah. for myself even the mm. concept of recovery and the definition of recovery can mean different things to yeah, different people 100%. as well mm. like if you're working with a lady that's come through poverty sexual abuse trauma and all this stuff and they're living a quality of life where they're looking after their kids the roof is over the head and, and, and they have to take their yeah. method on on a daily basis. They're in as, recover, as much recovery, recovery as exactly. anybody else. Exactly. And that's when there's often a hierarchy. Yeah. you know that? You're not really in recovery if you're on method on, you know. And there is other options nowadays. Like I know they've just started to build it all here in Ireland and that's so, that could be great. 
if it gets passed and people are actually offered it. Is that like a suboxone type of thing? It's suboxone, but it's a depot. It's injected into oh, people see, once yeah. a month. So it breaks down that every tablet. day. Yes, suboxone's a tablet, but it's the same thing, except for suboxone has naloxone in it. That's right. So if somebody takes opiates on top of it, it can put them into what's called is a precipital withdrawals or something. It's a wit- kind of strong kind of withdrawal it puts you into. Very similar to taking antibiotics yeah. on yeah. and drinking, but the Bilvidal is a you only have to go to a clinic once a month. And it's injected into you, it releases her into your system mm. every day. It gives people back their lives. Now people can walk, not having to make excuses to a boss yeah. every day to go yeah. to a clinic or every week. But even yeah. going to the clinic can be triggering in and of itself. You're trying to move away from that kind of lifestyle and uh you have to go to Alba House in Cork. If you have to go to Alba House every Monday. And you're surrounded with people selling tablets and doing it, knowing what you're looking yeah. at. Yeah. Like yeah. the less of that you're exposed yeah. to, the better. The better. It's a lot easier if you haven't to be exposed to it. Not granted. Doing that, they're not sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a lot easier if you haven't to be exposed to it, you know. But I think, though, when, especially if you're like starting your recovery and you're not doing it in treatment centers around. Yeah. You know, being in the community doing it can be a strong way yeah. of starting. If you can do it in the community, you know, yeah. because you're there. All them triggers are there. Mm. What was just your, learning. What was your turning point? How does it come to a head for? Do you know what? I lied to my dad and told him that I was drug free. I did before he died. I remember going to the hospital and sneaking into the, and at the time I'd got really bad on crack cocaine, sneaking into the toilet to have a pipe. But I felt so fucking guilty then, mm. you know. But as well, though, after my dad had died, I had talked to, I was. In, with my key walker in sale and I was talking about trauma I'd been through as a kid and I finally decided to tell my mother and I think as well I felt guilty that I never told my dad about it but I never told my dad about it because the person that was about kind of knew my dad was well, could get aggressive and mm-hmm. he had a temper and he kind of switched that and made it feel that if I told my dad my dad be the one that I'd end up in prison because my dad killed him. Do you know? So yeah. it was used against me. But it was when I spoke to my mother that's when things started to really change for me. Do you know when I finally started talking about the trauma and things like she that? She started to understand it. Yeah. I, I, the response I got from her was brilliant. Do you mm. know what I mean? But at the same time, it left her feeling a lot of guilt because she felt she didn't protect me. There was nothing she could have done no. to protect me. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the whole model yeah, thing, isn't it? Yeah, like she 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 forgets to put herself back into that time that probably happened where she was yeah. probably bringing up six kids yeah. and dealing with everything, and everything else. Yeah, you know we, we tend to forgive, yeah. forget and about those things and beat ourselves yeah. up because of other stuff. It's just normal yeah. for human beings to beat themselves up over stuff like yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, because it's my belief we do the best we can at, at whatever stage of life with what we know. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes if you're behave, if it, all you know is just chaotic behaviors and mad stuff, and uh, you you'll behave in that way. Yeah, but if you're, <laughs> if you're ten years down the line and you're in recovery, you have to understand and put yourself into that context as well. I didn't know any better back then. Yeah. You know, back then I probably done this. And it's like listening to the gut. We've all came across times yeah. in life in our lives there where the gut is. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you're going to do it. And you do it. And it's like, whoa. Do you know, I've done that so many times. (laughs) (laughs) And even right now, go back to actually 
when I was there shoplifting and feeding me have I remember having them good feelings in shops, you know. Yeah. You're gonna get an interview. No, right? just time. Nah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you're next. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, why didn't I listen to myself? Yeah. yeah. It's just that yeah. time, like something yeah. in here I'm saying yeah. after stream. Yeah. yeah. And then you still go and do it. And you'll describe your pathway through recovery and education. Um as I started in the Sire Project, went went back to the Sire Project, I had an amazing key worker there. And I do think it was the piece that he had a bit of lived experience as well. Like so he was brilliant. The support I got there and all was great. And I started going, as I said on the addiction studies and that. And I think I then I was planning on going as I say earlier, I'd went to what's the name that DIT I was at the time. Yeah. yeah. It's T U D now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but um, I ended up having me two kids, so I mm. said I'd go back. Then I got accepted into it again, I think it was 2017, no, 2018. And but at the same time I was accepted into that, I was offered a chance to do a level A certificate on community education and equality studies with Minute, but it was being done in sale. So I said, do that instead, because the one that I was doing was an access programme so that I could try and apply for college the following year. So then i done the quality studies, and then I went on and done my degree in community and year work in Minute. So I finished that two years ago. Mm-hmm. And now, once I handed my thesis, I'd be finished my master's in human rights and social policy now. Mm-hmm. Two, well three weeks, I'd be finished that. Mm-hmm. If I finish my thesis. You will finish it. I will. You will, 100%. Oh, yeah. Fair like that takes a lot. Yeah. It's it's very easy to say it, yeah. but it takes a lot out of us, particularly oh, bringing up children does. as well and having to provide financially for your family and stuff. It's tough, particularly if you're somebody that education doesn't sit well very easily. So I take my hat off there because I know how it feels, you know. And when you're talking there, you're listing off the courses and they're all off at home. But like that's ours. Of sitting in front mm. of the laptop, reading books. There's no like the idea of doing a course and doing a degree is nice, but there's no one can sit in front of that laptop for hours, for years, years, and do a fire. You yeah. have to do that and the discipline, the sacrifice. Because I know, man, when I was a student, John Brock is a fucking house. Yeah. I put your grind and with the goal of getting the qualification, and then getting the job. Mm. And when you can do that, then there's no greater feeling. But if I was to give advice to somebody that was starting out. My advice would be if you can do a level five, you can do a degree. Exactly. Because if you exactly. can do the, if it, 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 a degree is harder, but if you can do level five, it will set you up yeah. really well for yeah. the degree. I wouldn't have had the confidence or the ability to do the degree. Mm. The level That's five. Same. That's why I done the level five in addiction studies. Yeah. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have even done the certificate yeah. in the quality studies. Wouldn't have. Wouldn't have even tried. Because you get the same but mm. the, the hard work. I remember on. When I finished my degree, <laughs> I'd only started working in sale, like as a staff member, like I'd been doing peer work here and there. But um, <laughs> it was so fucking funny. It was um, we were still only coming out COVID, and we were all we ran a clinical team meetings just be on a Wednesday, and we were all in different rooms. So say on the Friday before, I had set up all oh, the night before, and I'd I two assignments to finish off, got them in. Grant sitting on the desk and say, like, my phone on. <laughs> and we're all taking turns at talking. And I heard someone's, all I could hear was a bang. And I'm like, I'm lying on the ground in a pool of blood. 
My whole body just gave over. I mean, there was um, wheels on me, on me bleeding chair, so everywhere. I must have fainted, but I cracked my head off the desk. The, the rest of the staff, all I could hear was everyone running because I came back up to the screen. They said it was like watching your woman out of the ring. <laughs> the hands come up, but blood flying down. Jesus. <laughs> like, my body just gave yeah. up on me. Do you know, the Don't stress know. of just, Don't I think I was just walking on adrenaline, mm. getting everything in, and then the stress of it was just like, nah. That's some drive, isn't it? Like, yeah. kind of like, like, and you just keep going even though you're burnt. For anyone, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody said to me, and it was good advice, or well, not advice, but information, so if you put half the amount of effort into the education as you did into scoring, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> be, be, that wouldn't stop you from scoring. Especially you know? in a drill. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we often travel to Dublin, oh, do you know. Stuff. But it's mad. Listen, Paul, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for the invite. Yeah. We'd, love, we'd love to visit your projects and meet yeah. some other women that you're working yeah. with. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Roger, definitely happy sound there. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. We'll organise that. Yeah. Thanks we'll for even time. give you a song. Yeah, do, do you have that little choir and all? I know T- Timmy sang with Christy Moore in the studio a few weeks ago, so he yeah. might sing oh, it. Brilliant. Black is the colour. Yeah. Eyes closed and all. And don't listen to him now, he's trying to wind me up. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot the words halfway through the song. Yeah. <laughs> I, he might have told you, he knows all the words. Yeah. <laughs> I went into fight or flight during the song and I completely shut down and I forgot the words completely. So I bluffed my way. Starstruck. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll come up, chat and yeah. uh, maybe for... Um, May I let you finish us off maybe with a award for the, the ladies that might be watching that's in prison at the moment? Just keep your head down, you know, do a, find what sort of you enjoy to do, you know, like for women to sort of find, because I found a lot of times, I think the, educate, the education system in the prison needs to talk to the women and see what it is they'd like to do. Because a lot of times just doing hairdressing, and not every woman wants to be hairdresser, not every woman wants to be a cook. Some women want to do things a little bit outside the box, but also for the prison system to value the lived experience that's in there. Do you know what I mean? And use that, you know, when they are creating anything. But for the women themselves to realise that the knowledge that they have, that lived experience, is huge and to use that and not be afraid to use that voice because nothing changes for you unless you start speaking up, you know. And don't be afraid that that stigma and shame that you've experienced that don't let it shut you down. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of time, I think, as people who use drugs and people who've had a criminal past and all, we seem to fear speaking up because mm-hmm. we fear straight away we're going to be shut down as you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Now we actually do. We have a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. and a lot of wisdom to give. That's great advice. Well said. Thanks, Paula. Thank you. See everybody next week. The Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. Your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.